Welcome back to another episode of the Producers Podcast here at Denver Sports. Under the same umbrella of 104.3 The Fan here in Denver, Colorado, we want to thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. And the next 30 minutes is going to be full of fun and laughter and just, you know, some cool conversation about sports between two producers. I'm Kamaje, best known as KJ on the Drive, and I am with Colin, who is one of the greatest producers that you could ever find here on the face of planet Earth. Colin, man, what's up? Hey, my man. I love the praise, but I learned from the best in you. You know that about a year and a half, two years ago, one of the first shows I did was with you. It wasn't here. It was back at the school. I still mm. remember you coming in and hosting that. You brought some energy. You brought some Kobe love, and you know it was on the anniversary of, of that, man. I still remember that first day. So I'm following in the footsteps of the great KJ, trying to live up to that standard. Oh, man, man dude, you're far <laughs> too kind. You're too kind, dude. I mean... I, I do remember that day. That was, that was a tough day to do a show, man. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, part of being a professional that I learned very early due to the great Josh Dover is that uh, you got you got to fight through the tough days, too. And, yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I was grateful to be able to, you know, set that example for the time that I was there, man. So, yeah, I mean, full circle moment, man. Full circle. Now we, we started there and together. That, yeah, here we are again, man. So. This is amazing, and, and guys, I'm telling you, the next 30 minutes are about to be fire, so we're going to get right into it. Colin, the Denver Nuggets, as of the time that we're recording this podcast, have won six games in a row, 13 in a row at home with a back-to-back at the time that we're recording this coming up. The Denver Nuggets are not just rolling. I think they've found their stride in the season. I mean, between Nikola Jokic now being the emerging and now front runner as the MVP, in the MVP race, should I say. And then now the Nuggets, you know, they're still fighting with Memphis to secure firmly that number one spot in the West. You know, first off, let's just go to our initial, you know, reactions. What do you think of the Denver Nuggets thus far? And what do you think about this team overall? Additional reactions are this team is set up to win. And they have the path to win it because looking at the NBA as a whole right now, there's not a strong team in the West besides the Nuggets. And Memphis is one of those teams that you you mentioned that the Nuggets are fighting with that are always kind of the kryptonite to the Nuggets. They always play them tough, but the Nuggets seem to come out on top all always against them. It's it's a good fight between them, but usually the Nuggets are ahead in that. So the fire part that's going on for this team is, you know, you have a Clippers team that you blow out. Then they say, we'll see you in a week. And guess what? Guess what the Nuggets say? Yeah, we'll see you in a week. We're going to sit Jokic, and we're going to kick your butts. Mm. You know? Just like that. Okay, we'll see you in a week. No worries. We're not worried about it. You have Jamal Murray going off. The one thing that I really want to see is, you know, you see Jamal Murray go for 35. I'd like to see him kind of get rid of those nights where it's the 10 points become a little bit more consistent because he has had those pop nights that we've seen. Right. But consistency is really what I'm looking for in him as this season progresses because we all know he can pop off for 30, 40 points in a game. Oh, yeah. But let's not have the 10-point nights. Let's not have those low scoring, Mm. no assists, not impacting the game in a positive way type of nights, which I think he's eliminating. But that's what I'm really looking forward to happening as he really continues to get back in you know you can say he's back 100 percent. there's a little bit more still for him to get back yeah for sure I mean while we're kind of talking about Jamal Murray here 
do you want to see a resemblance of just, uh, we're not talking about the full stretch. We're talking about just like a little bit of bubble Murray. Do, would you like that to kind of really be confident in his, his, his abilities after his injury? Yeah. So there, there are pieces of bubble Murray that I really loved. And that was his want to take over the game. Right. He had that desire and the confidence that he was the guy to take over the game. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I really think that he needs to recognize is that he also does not have to be that guy anymore. Mm. Because if it's an MPJ that's hot, if it's, you know, Aaron Gordon, uh, Aaron Gordon that's hot, who whoever's hot, they can take that hot hand and it doesn't have to be all on his back, which was part of what happened in that bubble was, you know, we talk about the injuries, but you don't you don't need to put it all on you anymore. You have a great supporting cast, Jamal. Right. So recognize that and recognize that, you know, you are a superstar, but superstars also need help. You look at, look at LeBron having to move out of Cleveland, you know, superstars need their friends. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, you got to count on your friends. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, Jamal Murray coming back from injury, he's definitely, you know, jumped leaps and bounds in regards to his ability to not get discouraged. Um, I think the injury probably helped his mentality long-term that he understands that no matter what my bad days look like, my bad days will never be as bad as I think they are. And I think he's slowly learning the ability of being consistent, right? Because we look at, you know, Nikola Jokic as of right now, he's averaging around 25 points a game, 11 rebounds, and 9.8 assists. I mean, he's almost averaging a triple-double in the season. That is crazy to believe. We're just over the halfway point in the NBA season. And, you know, players like Jamal, players like MPJ who are young, they've gone through injuries, and to have a staple like Nikola Jokic right there in the middle all the time being the force it allows other guys to feel comfortable in their roles while they're still growing and they can feel comfortable in their roles without the pressure of, I have to do X, Y, and Z or else. Yeah. And and some of that X, Y, and Z stuff that these guys don't have to do is that create on their own, right? This is what Aaron Gordon had to do in Orlando. He had to create everything on his own. Mm -hmm. And anyone who watched that Orlando team with Aaron Gordon, while Aaron Gordon was a superstar, the only reason was because he was the only guy in town and he had to be. Mm -hmm. And so for Aaron Gordon, it's just, Hey, play your game, you know, cut to the basket, stay, keep your head up. Right. You know, this isn't all on you. Uh, A guy like KCP, I mean, play your defense, fit in. Like you are a great piece of this organ, you know, of this team right now in this organization at this moment, and that's the blocks that this team has built up over the years. And even going back a few years ago, I thought that I thought one of the worst things that the Nuggets did was lose Jeremy Grant. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever recover from that. Aaron Gordon has done a great job yeah. in his absence, but Jeremy Grant. I think what he would have emerged to be with the Nuggets, man, would have been it would have been Jokic one, Jamal two A, you know, and yeah, I think Jeremy Grant like would have been two B, honest like honestly, and that's no disrespect to MPJ, but that's just how much Jeremy Grant brought to the game. Well, that and Jeremy Grant, let's be honest, is more available than MPJ has been over the last few years. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's not you, even close. You know, <laughs> those guys would have played a whole heck of a lot more minutes together, even yes. with Jamal out. Right. So, yeah, the Jeremy Grant thing hurts, but I also don't 
think originally I thought that it would that it really hurt and it still kind of does. But in this room and in that locker room, I don't think that that ego and what Jeremy Grant wanted to accomplish for himself would have fit in mm. with where they're at now. It would have been more of a hindrance, and it took a while to see that because seeing a guy like KCP come in here, he he's happy with his role. He's okay with where he's at right now, and I believe MPJ is more comfortable with where he's at too. I, I still think every once in a while – I go back and I'm like, man, I, I really wish the Nuggets would have traded MPJ for Bradley Beal. I still think that every once in a while. You remember that? That There were talks about I, I that. I do remember that back. before this most recent back injury. I do kind of remember a little, uh, few rumblings about that. You know, there, there there's still times where it's like, man, I wish I had that. But then you see MPJ settle in and he's kind of found himself and realizing that he needs to step up on defense. Right. While he still has his lapses. they're fewer and far between than they were in the previous season. Oh, I couldn't agree more. MPJ has come a long way. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a conversation to be had at this this moment that MPJ is finally starting to grow in other areas in a way that Michael Malone has always wanted him to grow. It doesn't mean that he's the perfect rebounder. It doesn't mean that he's the perfect shot blocker. doesn't mean that he always keeps his man in front of him, but I think he's great. But Earlier, you kind of touched on the fact that, you know, everybody, uh, you know, were were able, you know, especially in this form of the Nuggets to kind of fit in a specific role and no one has to feel pressure. And you kind of, you know, you touched on uh, a few more players than than I did when I first set it up, but we can kind of open it up here. I think a case can be made that the Denver Nuggets are probably the deepest team in the NBA because, I mean, between everybody knows the starting lineup. I mean, yeah. between Jokic, Jamal, MPJ, KCP, and and Aaron Gordon, everybody knows the starting lineup across the league. Let's go to the bench. You got Bones Highland, you got Bruce Brown, you got Zeke Naji, you got Vlako Chanchar, you got uh Christian Brown. I mean, you could even go as deep as DeAndre Jordan, Ish Smith. Um, I mean, however deep you want to go with it. And they got at least 12 or 13 solid guys. That on any given night, depending on what role they need to play, they can step up and answer the bell. And I think the Nuggets finally have a consistent role for each guy to where it doesn't feel forced. Like, it feels natural now. Like, you don't have to make space for guys. Like, when, no disrespect, but when Will Barton was here, yeah, <laughs> dude, he swallowed up so much of the court because he always dribbled the air out the ball. He always needed yep. at least 20 shots a night to kind of really do his thing. And Monte Morris was a great point guard, but he his style was so contrast to Jamal that I think sometimes having a guy who would rather get people involved kind of hurt them on nights where they needed a guy to kind of really be an efficient scorer. Yeah. So looking at what they've been able to do with the emergence of Bones Highland and the settling in of Zeke Naji, you know, guys that they've drafted on their own, like these are guys that the Nuggets have developed themselves, I think has definitely allowed the Nuggets to finally, without a shadow of a doubt, know that we have guys in a specific role and it won't impact this team. So what do you think about how deep this bench is compared to the rest of the NBA? And what do you think about overall uh, the amount of, of flexibility that Michael Malone finally has uh, to be able to do everything that he wants to do on both ends of the court. I mean, first of all, we're, we're going to spend all this time on the Nuggets if you oh, want wow. all these questions answered. I'm <sighs> happy with that, my man. Uh, you mentioned two names there, Ish Smith and DeAndre Jordan, two veterans who have been around 
who really have seen the ins and outs of the NBA and what happens. And I think that's great leadership, even though a guy like DeAndre Jordan, he's nowhere near the player or a player who's going to play all the time anymore. The young guys, honestly, the depth is good, but it means nothing because once Mm. the playoffs hit for two reasons, it means nothing. I should, I should say once the playoffs hit, your bench is shorter. You're not using as much. And don't you believe for a minute that Michael Malone is trotting out the rookies to play really valuable minutes in the playoffs. The other reason why it means the other reason why it could mean nothing is if the nuggets continue, which they haven't in this past winning streak, but they continue to go back to their third quarter woes and losing leads and not keeping the foot on the gas and not letting the uh, starters rest because the bench, the second unit is giving up points and letting the other teams come back. If those third quarter woes somehow creep back into this locker room and that attitude, then those starters aren't going to get the rest where that, that deep bench isn't going to get used as much. And then come playoff time, the starters are tired. That's my biggest fear for this team is that this second unit I'm hoping that in this last string that they've learned how to keep the pedal to the metal, but don't lose those leads. Don't blow it when you have that game in hand and make a guy like Jokic or Murray or MPJ come back in when they should be resting at at that point. Right. No, uh, for sure. I, I definitely agree. Two things I think the Nuggets have been able to do this year that the last few uh, seasons they have not been able to do whether it was due to youth or not the right players or guys not buying in whatever the case may be um, two things they're doing specifically this year that they haven't been doing in years past is they're putting together full games now that they haven't always done to your point because of the third quarter woes or sometimes the second quarter woes yeah, sometimes the second right you know and they so they they've learned how to put those together and then they're learning how to win the games that they need to win. That's been one of the biggest things that I've really harped on when it comes to the Nuggets. Like, a lot of people who probably know me probably are like, dude, like, you know, I know you really like basketball, but how much do you really support the Nuggets? I'm like, don't think of it as in, like, I don't like the Nuggets or I don't support them. But this has been the first season that they've actually proved to me that they can win the games they need to win. Like, they split a game with Sacramento earlier this season, which I still think they should have got the first one, but that's neither here nor there. They recently just won a game against the Orlando Magic. They've beaten the Clippers when they need to actually beat the Clippers. And, I mean, I can point to a plethora of other games this season. They've, they've even snuck a couple in on the Mavericks this season. I mean, that in years past, you could definitely book that as an L. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned Sacramento. I don't know why the Nuggets can't beat Sacramento ever. For the life of me, I don't understand. Year in, year out, whatever, Sacramento, you can just count on the Nuggets dropping one. And it it is good to see. You know, I know you said they should have won that back-to-back, but they stayed in it. They didn't get blown out. There there are always going to be some weird losses, especially with the way the schedule is now with those back-to-backs and how they're doing it this year. It's different, and it takes some adjusting, but I do agree. They have come ways because earlier in the year – they blew like a 27 point lead from the second quarter and they blew it in the third quarter. And they, mm-hmm. they've shown less of that right happening recently. Like, and that's why I said, I hope they can continue that. And that will make the bench more valuable, which will then make it more important through the season because the starters are going to be rested. And a guy like MPJ is the biggest example. You just don't want him out there playing extra minutes with any chance of anything happening. Anything can happen in sports, but the less you're out there playing, you know, in meaningless games or time, the less likely you are to get hurt. 
couldn't agree more. We'll put a bow on this Nuggets conversation with this. Nikola Jokic is by far the front runner for MVP right now, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, and we'll 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 close with this. If Nikola Jokic goes on to win his third consecutive uh, MVP, then he not only sets himself apart in a unique group, but then we're starting to talk about Nikola Jokic as probably one of the greatest centers of all time. Now, he's already the greatest player in most people's eyes in Nuggets history already, and he hasn't even won a championship for this city just yet. No one has, ever. I was going to say, no one has. Uh, <laughs> he, he's not in rare company yet. <laughs> right. soon as when I, he wins once, he's going to be in rare company, my man. Right. I was just <laughs> like, know, that will soon as I said that, I was like, you know what? Now that I think about that, they never won. <laughs> We're going to rewind but, that. Right. <laughs> but no, you know, and, and, and so, like I said, he nor anyone else in this entire Nuggets organization has ever won a championship. So we talk about him, what he's already done, becoming one of the greatest players ever. I think... Right now, Nikola Jokic is playing so great that I think his legacy right now is already proceeding the greatness that he's showing us right now, just due in large part to the fact that five to seven years from now, we could be looking at a potential three to four time MVP with maybe one to two championships under his belt, getting ready to walk away from the game. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. And I think when you're looking at it from that perspective, I think that alone already makes you that much more grateful to be able to witness such a unique player like Nikola Jokic. And you talk about walking away. A lot of guys have walked away, not on terms of their own. And Jokic, as it stands now, you know, it looks like he'll be able to do that. He's been so durable. I, you know the other day when he took a night off and Malone had him on a night off, there was no way that that was him voluntarily saying, yeah, I'll take a night off. You know, Malone had to be like, no, you're sitting your butt on the bench. Like, go hang out there. He's one of those guys, so durable, so competitive, and as far as the greatest ever, I mean, let's be honest. He plays in Denver, so you got to win a championship. John Elway wasn't considered anywhere near one of the greatest be- until he won a championship. He was it talked about, but they always talked about championships with him, and his part of being in Denver sports is if you don't win, nobody recognizes you. It's just the state of where we are. It's not in L.A. It's not in New York. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, at the end of the day, people may or may not care necessarily about the Denver Nuggets long term, but they're being a force right now. And thank God for Nikola Jokic. But you said something about championships there. And speaking of championships, the NFL, they're in playoff mode right now. And, at the time that this is being recorded, the wild card, or I'm sorry, the super, super wild card weekend just passed us, and we saw some amazing, not just plays, but amazing moments that happened. And so I'll kind of let you kick it off about, you know, super wild card weekend and just the weekend as a whole. So the weekend as a whole, honestly, was it was fun to watch. It, there were some exciting moments, but honestly, there were only two good games, in my opinion. And that was. The uh, the Bengals and the Ravens, which somehow was a good game, and right. then the and then the Giants and the Vikings. Those two were the good games. Uh, so, what about uh, what about Buffalo Miami? I, I know what you're saying, but also you you look at Buffalo Miami. They were up they were up by twenty plus points in like the first quarter, <laughs> and you kind of sat there. Miami put a good push back, 
But it, it was a story of like halves of teams, mm. you know, and that's no more evident than in Jacksonville and lost in the Chargers. Oh, my Because goodness. one half the Chargers played and one half Jacksonville played. Jacksonville just happened to choose the right half to play. You know, <laughs> all right. that's really all it was this whole weekend was teams playing a half of football. And then, it, you know, that was it. Um, so there, there were some fun and there were some really good moments. But for Super Wild Card Weekend. While the games were close, they still weren't full football games like right. I expected. That that's what I'm talking about, and that's why I say you know the Cincinnati uh, Cincinnati and the Raven Baltimore game was one of the best because it really came down. They were neck and neck the whole time. Yeah, no, for sure. I think one team and and probably more than the rest should I say let's 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 put it in the proper context. One team that I think probably played a a more well rounded all four quarters type of game than any other team was probably the New York Giants, believe it or not. And I think the emergence of Daniel Jones being able to use his feet to open up the pass for himself, I think was, was super cool. Um, You know, you talked about, because I I don't want to get away from it. You talked about the charges and Jaguars. I, (laughs) we cannot talk about, we cannot just overstate the fact that the freaking Chargers let that game get away, man. Like, a 27-point lead, and all they did was fire their offensive coordinator and Joe Lombardi. Like, you can keep running circles and convincing yourself that this team is ready to win a championship now, but obviously not. No. it's And that's the simple answer. And they're not going to if, you know, the Chargers keep charging. Right. And I don't know how to change that. You know, Orlando Franklin, who we work with, he always he said that you go into that locker room when he went in there, the atmosphere was just different. And I don't know how mm. you change that whole culture there, but they have to do something because if that was there back when Orlando played, it's still there today. Even when I was sitting there, I was I was working uh, DU, and I was watching. I was like, man, the Chargers are up twenty seven nothing. I was like, they're gonna find a way to screw this up. I don't know how. I don't know if the Jaguars are gonna win. But the Jaguars are going to come back, right? Not knowing what was all what I was in for as I tuned back in, literally at the end of the game to watch that last second field goal. The Chargers just have something about. Maybe they're just snake bit. Yeah, maybe that's just a franchise that you know since uh, you know for you. I mean, years. I mean, I can't even. Maybe it's a hockey league call that that started it all. <laughs> they're just snake bit. They I don't are, know what man. to tell you. No, they they truly are. It's, it, they're a unique organization that have constantly unique is putting it very nicely, very nicely. <laughs> very nicely that 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 seems to uh, not get out of their own way on multiple fronts, and the fact that they have a head coach that I think is subpar. There's a case that can also be made that no disrespect to Brandon Staley, but his rise to stardom could have came faster than what he was prepared for. Next season will definitely highlight whether that's the case or not because the bottom line is I don't care who's at OC. If you're not going to make the proper, uh, you know, game clock management decisions, just game decisions, period, then I think you're leaving yourself open. I mean, week 18, you have nothing to play for and your starters are playing into the third quarter. Like, that's a prime example. Well, okay, you talked about Staley's, like, rise. But I got to ask you this is the only reason Staley rose so fast because he started to do things that no other team was. And these other teams weren't prepared all the times he went for it on fourth down, all the uh, analytics that he used, 
wrong or right, they mostly worked out in his first year and other teams weren't ready. Go back and look at how the Wildcat was run for a little while with with Miami and how right. that really threw everyone off for a little bit of time. And it's still used here and there now as a gadget play, but that was Miami ran it a lot. So you look at it, teams have now adjusted to Staley's tactics and Staley hasn't transformed or evolved into something new. He's kind of stayed the same while other teams have adjusted. So his rise came because his, you know, his guts, I'll say, to go for it and make these crazy plays and, you know, fourth and five, from you know, fourth and four or whatever from your 35, he's going for it rather than kicking the field goal. Teams weren't used to that. So players aren't used to being on the field. Now teams have adjusted. And so his rise happened because those things worked out. Can you imagine if all the times in his first year, all those things didn't work out for him, how quickly he would have been run out of the building? Things happen to fall his way. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, at the end of the day, things did fall his way. But, again, they always say is they say sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But I think you can't live off of luck. And I think that's kind of what we're watching a head coach do is he's living off of more luck than he actually is off of just being purely good at what he does yeah. on both sides of the ball. Um you know, let's 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 kind of transition into this. Some of the top plays from from the weekend. Again, I know they lost, but I gotta give it to them. The Seattle Seahawks. I mean, they I, for for a half they look good, okay. and that bomb to DK Metcalf. I was gonna say, is DK? It's got to be DK, man. That that bomb to DK Metcalf was absolutely phenomenal, man. And I mean, DK without without DK Metcalf. Dak's score could have really gotten out of hand because he made a lot of plays on Trevar on Traveris Ward uh, that was just supernatural. Just it, it reminds you why he's truly the number one receiver and one of the top receivers in the game. Yeah, and we can I know we'll get into another time, but DK definitely helped make Russ look pretty dang good. Oh, <laughs> you know? I know oh, we, we don't have man. time for that no, today. No, we don't. <laughs> so okay, I got I got three plays, and the last one is gonna surprise you. First play that stood out for the weekend has to be the Travis Etienne fourth and one run. I mean, the guts to call that run, to pop it outside and stay in bounds so the clock continues to run against the Chargers. Unbelievable play call, unbelievable execution. Like one of those plays that if that play doesn't happen, obviously the Jaguars lose that game. Mm. Next play. We all saw the Hubbard 98-yard touchdown yeah. jaunt back. I knew you was from going the there. recovery. <laughs> you know, that was just – I was sitting there. I was sitting here watching it, and I was just – I was like, oh, that's it. Baltimore's done. And there were still like six minutes left in the game. There was still time left. Hell, yeah. And it was just – I was like, that's, that's it for Baltimore. They're not going to come back from this. They literally gave everything they had. Huntley gave everything he had on that drive. He had a 15- or 20-yard run right before that to get them down there. And that was it. I, I just said, it doesn't matter what happens. They're going to get the ball back, but that's it. Yep. But the under-the-radar biggest play of the weekend. Dun, dun, dun. Curse's interception of Tom Brady in mm, the end zone. Yeah. That broke any mental blockage that the Cowboys had about losing to Tom Brady. That was it. They're like, we got him. And from the rest of that game on, Dallas dominated. So while those other plays were in crunch time, 
that pick in the end zone signaled the end of Tom Brady's dominance over the Cowboys. And that allowed that team to play with confidence throughout the rest of that game and really just, you know, wipe the floor with Tampa in their own home where they won a Super Bowl. Mm. That, I, I really like those plays, man. I think you chose three really good ones. You know, the next two I'll choose will be from winning teams. So the next one I'll choose will be Saquon Barkley's uh, the last touchdown on the goal line. Uh, honestly, man, I thought he was going to get stopped down at the one, but the way he was able to keep grinding, keep crawling his way to into the end zone and really just, if I'll be honest, just kind of give the Giants a momentum that I think the Vikings never were able to overcome because even with that pass interference call that, that they got rewarded with because it literally was not yeah. pa- not pass interference, I'm sorry, um, the roughing the quarterback um, that they got rewarded with that it literally was not a roughing the passer call at all. Um, they still were not able to convert on their last drive. And I think Saquon Barkley uh, being able to, you know, help the Giants really kind of ascend over that mental hurdle of, you know, we know we can go on the road. We know we can do it. Now we just got to do it, you know. And I think that was an amazing play in itself because of the trajectory in the game. Another play. I was going to say, how could Saquon not be like comeback player of the year? Oh, dude, he has to be, man. I, I, it's just, He has had an unbelievable season. Dude. And that's helped Daniel Jones evolve so yes. much this year. Absolutely. I think, I mean, th- there's another conversation that can be had yeah. for another day about whether he comes back to the Giants or not because – I got a unique take on it. Um, and so my last play will be, and again, it's, it's not one that broke the, it wasn't the straw to break the camel's back to say, but one play that I really liked was, um, it was the, I think it was the 57-yard pass uh, to Stefan Diggs from Josh Allen. Oh, the, um, yeah, the bomb that uh, to the left side of the yes, field. Right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, that play alone, I think, was was a microcosm of the fact that we kind of all knew that when push comes to shove, Buffalo's going to move their weight around and make it happen. Now, Miami did a great job of hanging in there a lot longer than any of us ever expected. No doubt about it. It was, you know, know, like, you know, speaking of hanging in there, (laughs) you know, I know we're going to do this more. I'm sorry. I took all those three right away, my man. I was just so excited about talking about these big plays and super wild card weekend. Whew. Dude, you know, they pumped. This were, is good football. It was it was well, really good football, man. I mean, it was the type of football that I was just grateful to be able to sit there and watch. So, you know, with that being said, we're going to close out this podcast here in the next couple of minutes with the divisional round matchups. We're just going to quickly touch on them, and then we're going to give our picks. So we're going to start off with Jaguars uh, Chiefs. Uh, they are going to play on 2.30, 2.30 Saturday on NBC so, with that being said, um, what do you think of that matchup overall? And do you think the Jaguars even have a chance? I, I do think the Jaguars have a chance just because they do have the offensive firepower. It's not quite the same as the Chiefs, but also the Chiefs' offensive firepower isn't the same that it has been in the past years after losing a Tyreek Hill. Still great, still wonderful. I think the Jaguars, what they really need to do is create two turnovers from. Uh, from the Chiefs and that's probably going to come by the hands of the wide receivers they need to get the ball out of the wide receivers hands when they catch it I know Clyde Edwards Alaire has been activated they're not going to run the ball no. and so Jacksonville that that's how they hang in this game is creating turnovers and Trevor Lawrence 
If Trevor Lawrence has a first half against the Chiefs that he did against the Chargers, oh, that game's over. Oh, no, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, What I will say is I think the Jaguars have a chance, but it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to the little bit of cold weather that came through Florida this past weekend compared to what will be in Kansas City after the snowstorm moves out uh, coming up this week because I think temperatures will play a huge part in – uh, how Jacksonville goes about their game plan. Because if they have to run more to start off the game than they anticipate, then to your point, how they capitalize on that will have an impact. Um, don't don't underplay the distraction that the possibility of playing a neutral site game plays in Kansas City's head either. Because that could screw with them. If you think back to lot past years, a lot of times when you hear a lot of noise around teams and things going on, they're not happy about the neutral site game. That might play a role in how they play. This game, it, it, I'm telling you, I have a feeling that something like that can be a factor because they're already disappointed that that game won't be in Kansas City, even mm, though they're the number yeah. one seed. Don't look, don't downplay it. No. I'm telling you, they they could come in with a weird attitude, and then the Man. Jaguars could get off to a very hot start because these guys are down, thinking that no matter what they do, they're not playing in front of their home fans again. No, for sure, and I, and I don't want to blow it off either. Um, Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to, yeah. No, yeah, no, you're all good, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to blow it off as it's not important or, or anything like that. But I think Kansas City has really grown up over the years. So could something like that hinder them? Maybe. But I don't think Patrick Mahomes will let them lose sight of the bigger goal, which I think is what is ultimately going to happen, which leads us to the picks of this game. I have the Chiefs winning. I have the Chiefs winning 37-23. to 23. Oh, man, we were going to point. Well, I do have the Chiefs winning. I don't think it's going to be that far. I think it's a field goal type of game at the end. Wow. So the Jaguars hang close. Like I said, it, it's really going to be about the start, and I think the Jaguars learn from what happened this last week. They'll try and slow it down with Travis Etienne, and Casey will not be able to keep that ball, you know, keep the ball running slow and play that game. So I'll go, I'll go like a 31-28 type of game. Okay, all right, that's, that's not both, bad. Both are, both are scoring points. We know that. Oh, for sure. No doubt about it. And on Saturday night, we have Giants at the Eagles. There's going to be 6-15, and all of these times that I'm listing our mountain time is going to be on Fox. So with that being said, I'll quickly go here. I think that the Giants will, just like you said with the Jaguars and Chiefs, I think the Giants are going to make that game a lot closer than what people want to give the Giants credit for. And I think the Giants running game, along with the ability of Daniel Jones to at least make a defense think about the fact that he can run, now opens up the field and allows them to do different things. Plus, the Eagles defense, they've been really good this year, and I think they have two of the top cornerbacks in in the entire league. But, you know, it's not going to be about them. It's going to be how does the Giants defense neutralize Jalen Hurts, and I think they have enough uh, weapons is as far as their front seven is concerned to neutralize them. So I have the Eagles uh, beating the Giants ultimately, but I think it's going to be a field goal game, kind of like you predict. I think it's going to be something like twenty three to twenty um, okay. as far as the Eagles and Giants game because I don't think that's going to be a super high scoring one. See, I feel like I feel, I'm on the opposite end. I feel like this is going to be the highest scoring game of the week in all mm. honesty because <laughs> okay. I, because the Eagles are going to come out. I believe Jalen Hurts is fully healthy while uh, A.J. Brown might be shut down by uh, Jackson uh, for the Giants. I do believe that, you know, a guy like uh, Devontae Smith is going to be able to go off in this game. 
and even Miles Sanders out of the backfield. I think the Eagles, especially after the way they played their last three games, really come out hot in this game and show why they were the number one seed. And I think they hang up like 40 on the Giants. I, I think I think that game last week for the Giants was their Super Bowl. It was Day Bowl Super Bowl in a way this week. So I, I think they hang a big number on them. And I don't know if the Giants score oh. that much. Like I, I know it's like a forty to seventeen game is what I think. I'm thinking it's a blowout. Oh by man, the Eagles. fly Eagles fly! Yeah, they're, 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 oh, oh, I mean they're man. not flying anywhere. They're staying at home for the next well, game. After hey, that. I'm just saying, you know, that's their mantra: fly Eagles fly. Nah, but you know, coming up on Sunday at one o'clock, it'll be Bengals at the Bills on CBS. <sighs> this one is interesting, maybe because. Obviously, this is a rematch of the Week 17 matchup, yeah. and we all understand what happened with DeMar Hamlin by now. And, you know, we're glad to see that he's up and doing better, and, you know, he's working his way back and he's recovering. Uh, and he hasn't had any setbacks up to this point. So super grateful for that. As far as the divisional matchup itself, um, this is going to be interesting because, you know, we have two very good defenses going up against two very powerful offenses. So, this may be one of the more evenly matched games uh, pretty much of the entire weekend. So, honestly, I have the Bills eking it out, but it's going to be – I'm thinking the score is going to be 20-16 to because okay. um, I think they're going to limit the Bengals to more field goals than they anticipate uh, throughout the game because the Bills' defense, they've been a bend but don't break since Von Miller's gotten hurt. Um, and so, you know, I think they're going to continue continue that trend. And they got enough corners on the outside to kind of help with, you know, not letting Jamar or um, uh, or T. Higgins, Higgins uh, get off. So I have the Bills winning 20 to 16. I, You know, I see the Bills winning by about a touchdown here. I think it is going to be close for most of the game. But then a big play uh, from Josh Allen to, I mean, anybody. T- pick your poison. Uh, James Cook, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary, Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs. One of those guys breaks free there at the end. And honestly, as clutch as McPherson was last year uh, for for the Bengals, he just hasn't been the same. So even if it does come down to a kick at the end to win it, I don't trust McPherson anymore for the Bengals. And I much or I trust a Tyler Bass much more for the Bills. So if it does come down to that, but I do see the you know the Bills putting up winning by at least seven here okay i i like it i like it last but not least cowboys 49ers 430 on fox which probably will end up being the best game now we're talking about two superb defenses but i think the offenses are finding their stride just in time now i may be in the minority on this one but i honestly think that the cowboys will go on to beat the 49ers 33 to 27 do you wow no, nope. I mean, how do you get to thirty three when you can't make any field goals? Oh, <laughs> oh. oh man! Oh, no, 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 you know, hey, hey, you you are dude, not going to live that down. Brett Brett Meyer, man, no disrespect to him, man, and I know he may go on a bounce back, but Ooh. if the Cowboys don't at least think about bringing in a kicker to try out this week, I feel I like they're not doing their sales. I don't justice. know if you can on the playoff roster. I don't know how. I'm not sure they can bring in anyone else at this point with the playoff set. Well, I guess at this point they would either. I guess they would have to release them straight up, huh? Right. Which I don't see them doing. Man, I think they're just they're going in to a tough spot. They are in a tough spot. I think they're going to ride it out with them, man. But to your point, you know, dude, practice is going to be crucial for him this week, man. You know, he, 
Brett Maher went up to McCarthy. He's like, yo, can I tribe call quest you? Can I kick it? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, maybe you can. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, there was not a yes, you can. You saw they didn't they didn't go for that 40 yard field goal there either. They nope. just, you know, you're going to you're going to stay there. Uh I do think that this is this is really the 49ers game to lose. They they have such offensive power and the ability of a Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey and even Brandon Ayuk oh and Kittle also to play after the catch. That's really where this Dallas defense struggles because they're good at covering, but then the extra coverage they overcommit. And so you can watch this Dallas defense really go after some guys. So some play action, uh, some play action passes, some boots that will get this Dallas defense off and you'll get guys like Diggs. You know, he's going to bite on some routes and you'll find some wide open players and Brock Purdy. You know, I know there's been some shame on him or his throws aren't that great in the last week. He can hit a wide open receiver and those guys can get open. So Give me the 49ers. Um, give me, yeah, 49ers like 27 20, uh, 21 28, something along those lines. Uh, seven again there because it, it is a great rivalry and a historic one between these two franchises. The 49ers are just better in every aspect besides quarterback. And even I'm not sure how far off Brock Purdy is at this moment, not career wise, than Dak Prescott. Mm. At this moment, I understand. Career-wise, Dak Prescott much more accomplished. I got it, man. Brock Purdy right now is playing pretty good. Hey, I see what you did there. (laughs) I'm gonna get one in. I see what you did there. I like it. And on that note, man, I don't think there's a better note to end on than that one right there because that was pretty good. Um, (laughs) Listen, we want to thank you guys for sticking it out with us here, and uh, this has been a great episode. And we hope that you know we said some fun things, some interesting things. Uh, and just, you know, gave you some unique perspectives to kind of embrace along with us in regards to the Nuggets, in regards to Super Wild Card Weekend, and in regards to the upcoming Divisional Round Weekend that will be taking place coming up this Saturday. So we want to thank you guys so much for listening and know that at the end of the day, we appreciate all you guys' support. So on behalf of Colin and myself, KJ, just want to say thank you, and we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Producers Podcast. See ya!